Hey, I'm Amanda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind Mapco at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more. Thanks for checking us. Fit Nation. Fit Nation. We are a show founded by veterans and hosted by veterans and a military spouse. Our mission is to get people to tell their story to the world. If you're an author, share your tips with the Miss Foundation. If you're a musician or actor, our audience needs to know how they too can get into the business. Coaches, we love our coaches. Come on, share some of your tips with the audience to help them become better versions of themselves. If you're a corporate leader or an entrepreneur, come on and share how you did it and how hard you have fought for success. If you're a veteran, first responder, or Gold Star family, we would love to have you come on and just share your story with the Misfit Nation. We always have time for you. Reach out and we will get you on. If you are feeling down, alone, or starting to see the darkness, stop. Think about those who are around you. You are not alone. You will be missed. If you feel like your problems will be a burden to those in your inner circle or are embarrassed to share that with them, please dial 988. If you are a veteran, take option one. We need you to keep pushing forward. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, Welcome to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast apps and also on our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. That's the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the bell. This will keep you up to date with all of our latest episodes and all of our news. You can also find us on Electrocast Media and About Face Radio. This will keep you up to get to us and learn more about our great guests. Speaking of which, our next guest is a 20-plus year corporate executive and board director. She is currently managing director at Accenture, nicknamed the Turnaround Queen by former colleagues and employers. She inspires and empowers her team and clients to change mindsets and drive growth in business leadership and culture. So without further ado, let's welcome Victoria Pelletier to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Victoria. Hi, Rich. Happy to be here. I'm glad that we, like we said in the pre-show, that we're able finally to really connect. <laughs> it took a little bit, but uh, thank God we're here today, and uh, you're healthy, healthier than you were a couple weeks ago, and uh, doing well. So I just gave a quick blurb on you. If you'd like to expand upon that, go back as far as you want to how you got into the corporate mindset and then to break away from it to where sure. we are. Now. Um, so makes me feel really old when I, I talk about my career journey because I've been doing it for a very long time. Uh, you know, I started working at age 11, interestingly, uh, and um, with plans on being a lawyer. So interestingly, I, you know, I worked all throughout school and university and I worked in a bank uh, while I was in university and um, got and I realized how much I loved the corporate world. And I got promoted really quickly. Within six months, I was in a leadership role. So by the time I was looking to graduate, they relocated me and offered me a, an even greater promotion. So I thought I'll take a year off before I head to law school. 
and maybe decide whether I move back, back cross country or not. And I did neither of those things, go to law school or move back. And I realized I loved the corporate, corporate world. And uh, six years of working in financial services, I got hired as the chief operating officer for an outsourcing company because I'd been running large scale contact centers for the banks and they had many banking clients. So it was a, I met a lot of the ticks in their box, um, although it was still a very much a stretch role for me. So 24 years old, new mom, stepping into this big executive role. And, you know, for me, I just realized how much I love, there's a lot of complexity that comes in what's been a, a business to business world for me of professional services. You're serving multiple masters uh, of not only the organization, if it's public and the shareholders and the leadership and obviously serving your um, your colleagues and your employees, but with the clients I'd serve, you're serving them, but also their, their employees or their customers, depending on what uh, work you're doing. So I've loved that. So I've stayed, a, you know, as an executive um, in what some might think doesn't look like a linear path if you were to look at my LinkedIn profile, but but very much there's tangential reasons why I've moved into those roles. But I've also always had a side hustle. You know, the I'm in, I'm a big entrepreneur at heart and try and do it within the organization. But I've done it, you know, on the side as well uh, for myself. I built and I bought businesses. And then other things about me, I'm, you know, as I said, I'm a, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a fitness fanatic, I'm a foodie, a wine lover, uh, and uh, and happy to be here and share and talk with you today. Awesome. How do you find time to do anything else during the day? How did you get time to get on the show? That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Schedule out far in advance. Very far in advance, yes. So that's also, that's a, that's a, probably a common th- a journey there where people have one goal, they get their foot in the door somewhere else, and all of a sudden they like it. And they get sucked into that world of like you for the corporate world, get sucked in there for so many years. And then hey, it's time for a change. I got to do this for myself now. When you made that pivot, how was that pivot? And did you, do you have any regrets making that pivot? Well, as I said, I've always had my, my, my feet in two camps. And so a combination of do, doing it and earning money for large corporates, but then also doing it for myself. And I, I think Early on, it was probably a little bit of fear, but also my of of and wanting to have multiple options available for me. I've been through 18 mergers and acquisitions in my career, and I can tell you I've been through a whole bunch of like restructuring. Many of the times I'm I'm at the heart of having to do that. Um, but the you know, doing it for myself is usually because I it was a, something I was passionate about. You know, I built a bath and natural bath and body product company because I enjoyed making it myself. And then it just kind of grew into a business. And then it got to a point where with my corporate career, I couldn't do it. So I sold it. A number of years ago, I bought a data and analytics company because I thought it was a great opportunity. I didn't plan on running it as its CEO, although I did for, for about a year or so. And so for me, I've, I've made pivots in terms of maybe even that first one where I talked about leaving what was a relatively safe environment of sitting in a, you know, a financial services banking environment to this private company where it was a really big stretch role for me. But what I've, I've learned is if like, I will never grow unless I'm challenging myself. So I tend to lean like much more deeply into the things that make me uncomfortable and challenge me because I hate the status quo. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of the listeners here, they live by that mindset, like uh, Barney Stinson on how I met your mother challenge accepted and, if you put a challenge out in front of a lot of these listeners, they will say, Oh, I'll do that. No matter how much it hurts or how much pain it's going to be, they'll push forward. And it's on my board in front of my desk right here. Challenge accepted. When I was told I I'd had too much time during the week, I took a challenge and made this podcast because I had eight hours 
of my week that wasn't allotted to anything. So I said, let me let me do something I've never done before. And I started a podcast, and now about 237 episodes later, 238 today. I think it's going pretty well, and I still have more time during the week. So I'm thinking of something else to wrap my mind around for those extra hours without getting my wife too angry. <laughs> yeah, that's important. It's very important. And, uh, you know, her being a teacher, she needs some her time when she comes home and to decompress. So I try to stay away from her during the decompression time and then come back to her after that. <laughs> <laughs> Good, wise man. I've learned over the years, I think. <laughs> it's hard to read those books, but I got them. I think I'm starting to understand some of them. <laughs> so uh, as a, when you were in the leadership roles, I know uh, on your profile, it says uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And now it's a big thing now in the corporate world, uh, DEI, they, you know, everything has to have an acronym. So DEI is how they go by now. And I had a couple of friends sit on a uh, panel, I think, in December down in Nashville for a DEI conference. And they said it was the most uh, robust panel they've ever been on. Have you seen the growth for that in all corporate uh, America or corporate world, the DEI stuff? Yeah, yeah, I have for sure. I mean, when I first actually, when I took that first executive role, that was probably where I really sort of formulated my passion and work and advocacy around DEI. But it was because I felt like I was the only. So I, I was 24, as I said earlier. So I was the youngest by probably about two decades in the room. I was the only woman as well. And I also um, leading an, you know, contact center outsourcing environment like 20 plus years ago is a lot of a lot heavy telemarketing that's not you know a desired role it tends to be one that's interim for new immigrants to the country or in between jobs and so i had many people from diverse backgrounds and to make um it a place that was more attractive to retain them have them be stay there longer perform more effectively and be engaged i recognized we, i needed to actually create a better environment where they felt like they could show up and they belonged so my work in DEI started 20 plus years ago and there were no employee resource groups or business resource groups formulated then. And now every company has one for sure. And so everyone's talking about it, but what I see, Rich, is there's this like level of maturity for different companies. There's some that do it because they, it's a tick in the box and they realize they have to, but the ones that are most mature are recognizing that it's a responsible way to do business and that it actually drives really solid business results, not just a good thing to do for employees and, you know, for the communities that you sit in, but it's actually very good, you know, for business in terms of innovation, productivity, engagement, problem solving, all those kinds of things. And I think it's something that uh, in a lot of the mature companies was happening behind the scenes before it became the, the new uh, acronym. And they just now broadcast it, even though, even though it was there all those years. And it actually builds a better culture within the organization, I believe, because then you don't have a lot of the animosity within the building or within the cubicle arms that people looking over, oh, they're getting better favoritism because they're this person or that person. They know it's not like that because everyone's getting treated exactly the same. You may perceive something a little different to yourself some days, but that could just be a weird perception that you can just talk to someone about. And I think with the mature companies, like you said, it, it has been there for a long time and the, now the younger companies are just trying to broadcast that we are DEI, we do this, we do that. But you're really not doing anything. You're just checking that block, like you said. Yeah, well, and I think that's what's sad, though, I will tell you, is despite the fact that most companies have, you know, formalized programs, many of the larger companies have a chief diversity officer who's the point person, I think, to do reporting and policies. But I will tell you that they're not the person that owns owns it. Every leader in the organization and every person in the organization, I think, owns um raising their voice um, when they see something in a microaggression or something happening in the workplace. But the part that still saddens me is 
um, the massive gap that still exists. So the World Economic Forum did a um, uh, research, or they do it uh, every number of years on looking at gender parity and pay equity. In North America, it's only another 60 years before women reach parity. But when we look at other countries around the world, it's like 100 plus years. You look at the um, Fortune 500 um, CEOs, it just hit 10% women, and there's only six black CEOs, right? So, so we're, we're talking about it, but it's not, it hasn't, the needle hasn't moved demonstrably. So we still have to do a lot more. So, yeah, a lot of more work has to be done. And having a daughter, I, I look at those numbers a lot. Of, and I, I know she has no desire to be in corporate world, but she works in a corporation. So I told her, you're in there. You need to fight for what's right for you not for just what's good for the company, what's right for you. And if you don't like it and it's not working well, move somewhere where it will be well. So I, I try to instill that in her and, and all even my female soldiers, I tried to treat every soldier the same way and not show favoritism until right at the very end, I had a soldier. It was almost the exact age as my daughter. So it was kind of hard to separate work from, from home. I was yelling at one at home, yelling at one at work. And I felt like I was yelling at the same person. So it's time to retire. I got to get out of here. So that was my cue right there. But, other than that part right there, everything was usually equal. Okay. And I know uh, when you came at 24 years old, going into the corporate world as a female, that that in, even with the numbers you just said, numbers, female CEOs, back then it was almost a dogfight for you to get into that position and an anomaly for you to be in that position. So that was an obstacle that you had to face very early on. Have you been able to mentor, teach, coach other females to do the same thing or other people in the business world to, hey, step up and fight for what's right for you? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I, I spent a lot of my time doing both formal and informal coaching and mentoring to lots of women, certainly, but to just many people within the organization. And a big part of um, that coaching and mentoring is a little bit like what you told your daughter you know, around going after what you want. You know, I have the, you know, saying, you don't ask, you don't get. Now, sadly, both my children have learned, learned that, my younger one in particular, and asks, ask, ask. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> understanding your value and your worth in going for it. Interesting, another interesting statistic is that women typically only apply for roles if they believe they have like, you know, nine or 10 out of the 10 skills or requisite um, um, requirements for the role, whereas men, We'll apply it with six. And so gaining confidence in the skills and what you bring to the table, again, your value and your worth. I'm not a fan of fake it till you make it, except with confidence. So show up there and, and understand and be confident in making making that ask. So, you know, I've I've spent a lot of time sharing my own story and kind of the the, the challenges and pain points I've had in my career, you know, telling, you know, people in their 20s things that I wish I could have told my 20-year-old self uh, to help make their journey a little bit better. That definitely helps them. I'm sure they may not say that first until maybe a couple of weeks, months, years down the line and they say, you know what, I remember who told me this and this is the person I'm going to say thank you to or or maybe just give them a thumbs up or give you a shout out when they're on the show talking about it. She's the reason why I made this step forward and understand my worth and understand my personal branding. Yeah. And pivoting yeah. on to personal branding, I know your personal brand is doing that is very, <laughs> so one of the things you're really good at. How does someone building as an entrepreneur too? You have both. You have to have a good personal brand to have an, be an entrepreneur, and you got to do both pretty well together as you start off. And that way, you're not working in your business all the time. You're working on your business and getting it right. How do you teach people to hey 
you got to build that personal brand for both you and the business and then try to combine them as one. Yeah, it. Um, I, I've been doing it for for decades now. Uh, and it's when I made that shift um, from a like business to consumer to business to business environment and realized who I was competing with. I mean, at the end of the day, it wasn't purely going to be on cost. Uh, if all things being equal, people do business with people they like and trust and want to do business with. And so as I started to be out there at conferences and events, you know, they're as much as they're buying my team in the business or whatever services we're providing, they're also buying, buying me and do they have trust and faith in my ability and my team's ability to deliver. So I've been doing it for a long time without 20 years ago calling it personal branding, but I attribute that very much so to my personal success. But what I would tell your audience is that it is so much more than your company name and your job title within it. It is about who you are as a whole individual. And so there's not a separation in my mind between the you know personal and professional. You're one whole person. When you meet me at a work setting or in a you know personal setting, this is the Victoria, same Victoria, period. But I want people to know who I am. So for me, my personal brand, sure, is that I have years and years of experience in um, corporate America as an executive. I'm passionate about diversity and inclusion, but I also spend a lot of time talking about leadership and culture because I want to work, you know, for good human centered leaders that um, support me. So I, I want people to understand what I stand for, the values that I'm committed to doing the right thing, but also your personal brand are the, you know, the things that can help build bridges with others. So what are your personal passions and, and interests that can help as you're just trying to reach out potentially to a new prospect to sell them? So for me, I, I speak pretty openly about things like even in my intro, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, foodie, a fitness fanatic. Uh, you know, I, I've done business in the hockey arena. You might hear a slight accent. I'm originally from Canada. So not shocking that I play hockey and my kids play hockey. Um, although now that I live in Miami, that that's not so much uh, anymore. Um, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> I, I did business there, but you know, as well. So it's just, how do you build that connection? And, but what I would tell people too, is you, you, you are the CEO of brand you. So you curate what that narrative is, what people you want to know about you. It's not false. It's authentic, but again, you're building that or otherwise someone's going to make that up, um, on your behalf. Right. They'll make a, like we said, or I said earlier about perception, they'll have a perception about who you are not actually who you are, but what they believe you are because you're not really given an authentic uh, picture of yourself. It's hard to erase something, someone's perception without having to go through many, many different uh, roles or many different shows to be on to, to actually say who you are. So the world will hear minus that one voice on social media. Right. And like 20 years ago, social media wasn't really a bad thing. It wasn't really blowing up like it is now. And uh, now even for kids in school bullying, they can't turn it off when they go home because social media is there. And the same thing in the corporate world or any business, one bad review online can kill you in a local or small entrepreneur can kill you. Even if it's false, because even Google, if you use a false, re false review, they don't take it down. Even if you contest it, it stays there forever. That's right. That's right. So how do, how do entrepreneurs, especially the end of the small business owner fight that and just keep the, the happiness of their business and keep it growing? Well, I think, there needs to be a constant awareness of of exactly what you stated, Rich. And so that in the moment where, um, you know, the, the saying that the customer is always right. And we we know that sometimes that's not the case. And like, I'm, I'm very quick to emotion. Like I will flare and get heated fast. So for me, it's re remembering, you know, in that moment, 
The customer's always right. I need to be mindful of how I'm going to respond. And I actually believe that a big part of the reason there's, you know, repeat business in the, in the companies I work for is one, because we delivered well, but if we messed up and we will mess up at some time, it's how do we recover from that? And so I think that for the entrepreneurs listening, need to be mindful of that, even when you've got that heat sitting here and you're ready to explode. So that, you know, that, that would be one, but the other is to recognize that, you know, your personal, your brand will evolve and change over time and you can make pivots. Uh, you just need to continue to work at it diligently. This isn't a set it and forget it. Like I put a web page up or I put my LinkedIn profile up and I'm done, right? You need to constantly be at it. And again, if you shift, if you make that, you know, move out of corporate to become a entrepreneur, again, you're going to shift in the things you talk about. You're still the same individual, but you know, you're going to bring other elements into it as well. So I think your audience needs to know that they've got, you know, permission to fail at some point. We don't want to, um, but there's still an opportunity to recover and, and pivot. Right. And something we like to say here is you're not judged by how many times you fall. It's how many times you get back up. Same thing. Anytime someone, like you said, flare, if you flare up by accident or you couldn't hold in your emotions, but it's how you recover from that how you say, look, this is our fault, our bad. We'll make it right with you. Can you just come back and give us another chance? If you do that, I'm thinking uh, most businesses will succeed that way. It's just hard now with people who don't even go in your store, but give you a bad review and that kills local business. It does. It does. That's, it's unfortunate. And it's too easy to be the keyboard commando, I guess I like to call them, but. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because I actually talk about having electronic courage sitting behind yes. the screen and typing away. Yeah. I'm so tough. I'll do this to you. Uh, <laughs> do you think your, your emotion, your flaring up, is that come from your hockey background? Were you a, were you a fighter on the hockey rink or were you um, well, interestingly, I didn't actually start playing hockey until I was in my 20s because my ex played hockey. Um, I, but I did play volleyball and bass. So I've always been like team sports. So and I'm super competitive. And so I am not a dirty hockey player. But because I'm a weightlifter, I'm usually <laughs> the strongest woman on the ice. And so I will tell you, I've gotten penalties even off the face off when I've taken it just because I can I can hold my own. Um, and uh, so I, but I will win. Um, and when <laughs> I goal or objective on something, whatever it is, like I'm determined I'm going to achieve it. <laughs> <laughs> That's outstanding. I will win. Don't worry. <laughs> and I mean, that's a good attitude to have though. It, it brings, it helps you when you moved into corporate world and to where you are now, I will get this done right. It's not, I will win all the time. I'll just do it right. And I'll succeed. I mean, you're not going to push someone off the table at, and when you're negotiating, but you're going to show them what you have and what you bring to that table to make them say, look, yeah, we want to go with your company or we want you to be part of our company. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's, you know, the, the talk of, and, you know, you as a military man, you know, not the, the battle versus the war. And so there's, there's trade-offs and you make choice and, you know, it's a, it's a relationship in business. Uh, right. so, so yes, I want to win. I actually, I don't know if you've read Simon Sinek's the infinite game and, but he, that's one of the things he talks about is like, you, you don't win at life, um, nor at business. Uh, and so uh, I, I love that philosophy and far too many people take that approach. So although I'm competitive and I like to win, I've learned how to, in, you know, in certain instances, when, when you sit back, um, uh, you let others win um, or just when you compromise. I've learned uh, through the military uh, not to let others bring me down or make me get my rage up, especially when we were in, in war, people would butt heads because you're all, all under stress in war and I want to do it my way. You want to do it your way. And I was butting heads with another senior leader for probably three weeks in a row. And it was about to come to blows. And another senior leader came in and said, why don't you do just sit down and have a Coke? 
So I don't want to sit down with him. And I don't want to Coke right now. It's too hot. He said, no, I want you two to sit and talk. Find out what your problems are. Mm-hmm. And that's all we did. We sat down and talked and found out and we became friends. And everything went away just by sitting down and talking instead of butting heads because we wanted the same thing, just yeah. saying it different ways and go, wanting it to be my way or his way. It was the same uh, end goal, end state, but getting that big head off our shoulders and learning to compromise and make things work and win the victory in the end. We won that battle. So (laughs) (laughs) learned a valuable lesson. (laughs) And that's something I still do now. I've calmed down a lot since I left the military. So that was good. That's seven years now. I've been able to just become compromised and basically negotiate with everyone I talk to, even at my job, my day job, I negotiate while during the day. just so they stay calm. And it's sometimes they'll get flared up just watching something stupid on TV. And can you affect what's on the TV? No, let's go. Let's move forward. I mean, you can't yell at the TV. They can't hear you. They really can't hear you. Let's go about our day and let's be productive. Yeah. That's a good idea. Hey, <laughs> that's right. You know, contr- control the things you can control. Right. It's the little things in life that, you know, you can either let them destroy you or just move forward. And that's what I try to try to push to everybody. That's great. And I think that's what you have done throughout your career without even knowing it probably at first. And then it kind of blended in. Now you look back and say, oh, I was been doing this this whole time. And now I can have these life lessons you can give to your children and to all those people you have mentored along the way. That's right. So now how do you, uh, the young entrepreneurs now, they're trying to build businesses. What's uh, great tips for them to start a business? I know you said earlier, if something you're passionate about is probably the best thing to do something you have a lot of passion for, but what other steps should they take to build a business now? Uh, So I I do very much believe to find something you're passionate about, but obviously you need to um, recognize the opportunity in the marketplace for it. And so looking at, but there's a new way of of thinking and I actually think big corporates get it wrong. And this is where a lot of entrepreneurs, um, you know, are, are succeeding is they look at instead of a total addressable market, uh, or a, a TAM, which is a, a corporate term for, you know, how our business is going to grow. Is it like a bit of the market um, share or wallet we're missing? Looking at solving the total addressable problem. And so there's not always going to be data to support that. So when you are sitting there and you realize there's there's a, a problem out there, how are you solving? And ideally, it's one that you're connected to. That's where the passion um, comes. And so you take, what's this problem that you could potentially solve with a, a business that you could initiate, product, services, whatever, um, but that, that, again, something you're passionate about because it's hard work being an entrepreneur. And if you're going to put in 60, 70, 80 hours a week as you're you know, building it, I certainly hope it's something that you love doing or brings you joy at least 80% of the time. There's can, I, I have an 80, 20 rule, right? There's always going to be 20% of the time. I hate some of the administ- administrative stuff I have to do. There's going to be some people I don't always enjoy working with, but 80% of the time I should get up looking forward to my work day. Definitely. You don't want to wake up angry that you're going someplace to do something that you used to love two days ago. And now you hate it because you have to actually do the work in it instead of actually enjoying what you do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, but then there's the other piece of advice I'd give as well is recognizing as entrepreneurs, I think there's a, they feel like they need to do it all, particularly when the business is smaller. And, um, but there's great ways you either, there's things you're going to have to do. I've learned is, you know, to get, do everything I do. And I sit on boards and I'm a public speaker. I, I say no to a lot of things. So your entrepreneurs listening will need to learn to say no. However, we can't always say no. And therefore outsource or delegate. 
And there's lots of great ways to do it, you know, quite cheaply. I found, you know, the guy that maintains my, my speaker's website sits in India and I found him through Upwork, right? So there's a lot in, you know, and very low, low cost. The labor arbitrage is, is amazing. And so I just think, you know, for entrepreneurs to think a little bit that way and not, not take on too, too much. And again, I know that's hard when sometimes there's not money to fund people, but I think there's some really creative ways uh, to go about it as well. Definitely. And I think, uh, like I said earlier, working in and working on your business, that usually is when people burn out, when you tune in too much of the in instead of on it. And that kind of makes them say, I don't want to do this no more. And I'm just going to close these doors and hand these keys back in, stop paying rent to this building and I'm out of here. Yeah. So they kind of lose your passion. And then you, you try to find the next thing that you are passionate about and try to do the same thing again and keep making that same mistake until you realize I'm doing something wrong and find someone that can mentor them. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So Victoria, it's been a great chat. Yeah. I think you've put out a lot of great information for the Misfit Nation. Where can people get in contact with you or find out what you're up to and uh, maybe get you to be on their show? So I mentioned my website. It's victoria-peltier.com uh, or you can certainly find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. And the website is going across the bottom of the screen right now and it will be in the show notes. So Victoria, thank you so much for coming on and thanks for patience between, I guess, the both of us to get this thing going. And uh, I hope you can find some hockey down there in, uh, in not, probably not Miami, Tampa Bay, at least you got hockey. You get some good hockey in Tampa Bay and you get to see all the teams. But hopefully you get to see some of that, maybe get some uh, some intramural games going and have fun. <laughs> Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it. You have a good one. You too. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. It's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling because we are 